Oh my God, honey. This is episode one of Weird to Use. I'm John Hughes. And I'm Kenya Hughes. And, and together, together, we, we are, are the Hughes. Hughes. The inaugural. The inaugural. Oh my goodness. The inaugural. On our show, we talk about love, marriage, relationships, and most important, God. As you tune in every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m., you will see how we turn our pain into purpose. You may ask, what is our pain and how did it truly lead us to our purpose? Well, after five miscarriages, a failed adoption, and losing my twin brother, Jonathan, to ALS, you could probably do the unthinkable and question, God, why me? And in his permissive will, he answered me and said, why not you? I suddenly realized that even though my wife and I were hit with an enormous amount of sorrow, that our pain is not unique or even different from anyone else. In fact, the pain once recognized pushes you to your purpose. And the purpose itself is what makes you unique and different. On this episode, we're going to be talking about how we have dealt with life after loss. This is going to be part one of a two-part series. Don't 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 don't. So as uh, John said, John said he said that we have suffered quite a bit of loss in our life, and we have just learned how to turn that pain into purpose. It has not always been easy, but we have taken the challenge head on. Wouldn't you say, John? Oh, my God. And really just turned it into something that is so beautiful um, for us and for others. So, like we said, we're going to talk about life after loss tonight, and I want to share what happened to us after miscarriage number five. So, it was really crazy. Um, After we... Um, Barry John's brother, we came home and we had a wedding to attend. And I had gotten dressed. John had bought me this beautiful dress and these beautiful shoes. And I just thought I look wonderful. And ladies, she was thing, beautiful. Oh, thank you, honey. But here's the thing I had to put on two pairs of Spanx that night. And I could not comprehend why I needed to put on two pairs of Spanx. Well, John took this picture of me. I was outside. It was raining, misting. My hair's natural, lady. So, you know, the little bit of water makes you want to run inside. But I wanted to take this picture. And when he took it, I was like, gosh, John, I feel so beautiful. But my stomach just is not going down, even with this two pair of Spanx on. More of you to love, hon. Oh, you're so sweet. So we go inside, and people are telling me that I have this glow about me, that I look so pretty. You know, we ignore things, right? So it's probably like a week later, and it finally dawned on me, like, I haven't had a cycle in almost two months. So I go and take this pregnancy test. I take one at work, I come home, I take a pregnancy test, and then I was like, I'm going to wait because I didn't want to give John any more bad news. I'm a protector, and I was determined to protect my husband's feelings. Thank you, baby. So I wait, and I don't take another test at night, but I get up at like 4 in the morning because you know you got to take that early morning um P-test is what we call it. So I get up and I take this test and it's positive. So I tell John, I wake him up. I was going to like wait until he woke up. 
but I decided I'm going to wake him up at four in the morning. Ooh, Lord, dead sleep. So, <laughs> talking to the angels, counting sheep, not a care in the world, dead sleep. But I know, but so I'm, I'm pushing, I'm like, John, get up, get up, get up. So, what I had done is I had taken the test, and the test had come, another test had come positive. So we went in the restroom and I was like, John, look at this, look at this, look at this. So he looks, still trying to process it all of it. So you all can just visualize, right? It's four o'clock in the morning. Your wife's waking you up for some like randomness. You don't know what it is. She tells you to get out of the bed and come in the bathroom. I know he, what were you thinking when I said that? I was thinking that this is April Fool's and I have taken on, taken on too much this month. And I didn't have any more room for any more disappointment. So he sees the test. It says positive. And because, exactly what he said, he didn't have any room for any more disappointment, he decides that he wants to go in the morning when the store opens and get another test. So we go and get another test. And, of course, that one comes back positive. So we're on... I think test number five at this point. The rabbit has died. 24 hours, like five tests. Test is positive. We get excited. We decide we're not going to tell anybody. We're going to wait until we know for sure. So we were pregnant. We were pregnant. We had taken the test. We're all excited about it, but didn't want to be too cautious. I waited to call the OBGYN because... Listen, there's this four-letter word, and it's a clean four-letter word, but that four-letter word is fear. And I had fear. We had the fear that we didn't want to be disappointed. We had the fear that we'd already been down this road and that we didn't want to go down the road again. Uh, But before I could even get to the doctors, I began to bleed like a week later. And of course, again, it was happening. And this was the reason why I did not want to go to the doctors. There's something about going to the doctors and the doctor telling you that you're pregnant versus you taking a home pregnancy test. Like a doctor telling you is so final. So it's final them telling you you're pregnant. And then it's even more final when they tell you that you have lost the baby. So... I did end up going to the I did end up going to the doctors to get the vaginal ultrasound, uh, and at that point they did confirm that baby Hughes number five had passed, and it was hard. I, the, my uterus was a, the my uterus was the size of someone that was eight to ten weeks pregnant. At that time, I lost it. I was like eight to ten weeks pregnant. Here we are again. So for almost nine weeks, I'd carried baby Hughes number five. Um, but today we're sharing this story because we want to encourage women and couples to let them know that they're not alone, um, to let them know that discussing miscarriage is no longer taboo, that it's healing. And not only is it healing for the woman, but I also believe that it's healing for the man as well. So for us, sharing our story has freed me, and I believe that it will free so many others. So hopefully on this two-part series that we have going on, it will free some of you all as well. And it may not be that it's miscarriage that you need to be freed from. It may be something, someone else that you have lost. But you have to find that place of peace Does it still hurt? Absolutely, it still hurts. But we have learned to process through 
through that pain. Amen. I think it's important that we realize that the word free is a word that belongs to all of us. And when I say free, you're free from pain, free from agony, free from stress, free from not knowing what tomorrow will bring because you have the faith that allows you to know that you're going to be okay. You have to believe that God himself makes no mistakes and your faith has to be there. Um, When I lost my brother, Jonathan Hughes, my twin brother, who I shall love till the day I die. And and when I, when I do die, when I go home to meet him, meet the Lord. And also I, 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 I want to go see my brother, but I think it's important that we realize that the loved ones that we, that we lose, we don't, we lose physically, but we don't lose spiritually that they will always be in our hearts, always be in our mind. And we will always be able to call upon the memories that we have for of them. And I think that's very important. It is important. And it's the memories of um, your brother. It's the memories of uh, the children that we have lost. Um, it's the memories of the... John and I also had a, a failed adoption. Um, it's the memories of the, we didn't lose her. Sometimes it's even with an adoption. Sometimes I, I find that it's hard and people that have gone through a failed adoption, um, that sometimes is even harder because you know that that child is still alive. So for us, that has been, that was hard, but we pushed through So we're talking about our miscarriages tonight and what we have done There are one in eight couples has suffered from infertility, um, has had some sort of miscarriage in their life. 7.3 women have difficulty conceiving and more than 80% of miscarriages occur in the first three months of pregnancy. And for John and I, that has been our case. It's been the first three months. I saw this quote online and I just loved it. The quote says, there's a unique pain that comes from preparing a place in your heart for a child that never comes. And that is by a man named David Platt. And I just think that our hearts are always hurting. There is a really unique pain that comes along with that, but we learn to process through that and, and free ourselves. Honey, that is so true. That place shares deceit with agony. That place, even though it may be secret and hidden away, boast of the child that could have been. We as human beings are constantly reminded of instances of the perfect family, mothers and daughters, fathers and sons. That is the nuclear family. But no one ever told us that the reality of that perfect family may never, ever come. As a man, that is very difficult for me to accept. With that being said, if I am truly the priest of my own home, a man that provides a covering, it is my job to create the atmosphere of never surrender. That's true. And we need to never surrender. We need to keep pushing and keep moving and and keep going. So for me, although um, each pain has been, each loss has been purposeful, the losses have made me the person that I am today. Amen. And you I'm more a un- tough cookie. I am. I, I try. I'm more understanding. I'm more loving. I feel like I'm more compassionate. Would you say I'm more compassionate? Yes. How about loving? 
when you get ready. <laughs> there is something about um, a loss that makes you decide that either you can sit in your misery or I can make something of it. And I've just chosen to make something of each of them. There is this pain and this grief that comes along with uh, with the misery. And for us, there's different stages of grief and there's different stages um, of pain after after your miscarriage. So the first one for us is going to be denial and isolation. Um, when we went through our first miscarriage, we were in denial. Like I still remember it. Clearly, the way that we wept, the way that I fell on the bathroom floor, uh, the way that I wanted to separate myself from people. It just, it was a place that I can't even explain, put into words. And that's the key moment that couples need to recognize that this is the time not to separate, but to pull together. Denial and isolation, specifically that moment in time, destroys marriages. You have to be so acute at recognizing when that moment happens and draw towards your mate and not draw away. Yes. Uh, Then the next one is anger, which leads to the blame game. And I can't say that I ever blame John for any of our problems. I'll say, or any of of our infertility issues because we went to the infertility doctors later um, in life, later after trying. But I never really blamed him. What I did do is people will sometimes ask, do you get angry with God? Did you get angry with God? And I'll be the person, John probably didn't, but I did. I won't say I was angry, I was disappointed. When you have dreamed of something and wanted something for so long and then you can't have it because we are in a instant gratification society right now where we want everything right now and you see people and you see women that are having babies and they are having them back to back to back to back to back you can get angry because that is not for you and you question God I also had to think back, though. I know that earlier in my early 20s, I used to say that I didn't want children. So I believe that the words that you speak are powerful and the words that you speak manifest themselves. So for me, I was angry with myself for a long time because I said, Kenya, are the things that you said keeping you from having a child? So I had to let that go. I had to pray and I had to talk to God and and just say, you know what, God, I'm not angry with you. There's a will and there's a purpose for our life and I have to walk in that purpose. Amen. Were you angry, John? Uh, Well, anger is is a very kind way to describe it. Okay. Um, I was angry at myself because when it initially happened, I, I didn't give you the support that you needed because I was so trapped mm. by my emotion and my pain. Mm. But you know when I say when I when I say this, some people might be offended, but some people may not. But the 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 miscarriages 
led me, gave me enough time to realize what mistakes I were make, I was making as a husband, as a man, as a mate to you. I know I, I realized that even though we had five of them, each time I grew to love you even more mm. because I recognized that it wasn't you going through the mes- mar- miscarriages or me going through the miscarriages, but it was us going through the miscarriages. And what harms you harms me and that we needed to face it and fight it together. Mm, that's good. Mm, mm, that's, and, it's, and it is us. A lot of times as couples, we think that we're in it alone and we are not in it alone. But I never knew that you were really angry. I will make this tr- this statement right here, right now, that we as men have to realize that our wives feel like they're in this battle alone and we have to step up and show our wives, our mates, our significant others that we're here with them. Yes. Well, thank you for being there. Yes, ma'am. Late and ladies, we have to support our husbands and let them know that we are there for them. And like I said, we are talking about miscarriage, but this can be in any type of, I mean, any type of loss, whether you've lost your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your aunt, anyone that is near and dear to you, you're going to go through stages of grief. So how we handle it may be different than how you, than how you handle it, but we're just letting you all know how we feel and how we process through these stages. The next stage that we have is bargaining. And those are things that we do individually to soothe our grief, right? So John and I talked about this. John went to buying things. He would just buy things just because. Just Oh, Lord. Just buy. The electronics, the, the stuff, the animals. My wife even called me Jack Hanna at one time. Yes, we have we have animals, you guys. Lots of animals. Um, not anymore. But he used to love animals. I, I still love animals. Oh, he wants another. What kind of dog do you want now? I want a Bichon, and I would like a Jack Russell. Not happy. that would be great. Okay, bargaining. For me, yes, we do talk about God and we love Jesus. But for me, some of the things I did to soothe myself. Or drink wine. I'm just going to keep it real. I drank wine. I never got to the stage of an alcoholic, but I did get to the point where every day that I would come home, I would tell John, have my wine ready. I had to watch her, y'all. I had to watch her. He would wait at the door for me. He was kind of an enabler, if you think about it. Yes, I was. He would just say, here you go, honey. And he would have a glass of wine ready for me. So I could be at work and be totally fine. And then when I left work, it was like everything that has happened and not happened to me, not happened being not having a child, would just hit me. And how I would turn it off and process life would be to drink wine. I don't even really keep wine in my house anymore because of that. And you and, and you know the craziest thing about you you're dealing with the miscarriage you're, you're, you're focusing with your wife you're going to work, you're going through your daily chores and duties and just life itself. Then you start dealing with the individuals out there They ask you hey what's going on? Oh yes. 
when you gonna try again? What's taking y'all so long for a grandbaby? <laughs> what's the holdup? If I get one more holdup or what's going on, I'm a karate chop somebody in the neck. It's going to be Karate Kid Part 7. Don't karate. Don't karate chop. Please don't. I'm not coming to get you out of jail. You're, you're too big. You knock somebody out. So that was the bargaining. So John bought things. I drank wine. We were a hot mess together. Ooh-wee! But we're still together. The next stage is depression. <laughs> there is visual. And then there's non-visual confirmation that as we suffer, the world continues on. So what I did, I remember. So when I knew I was really depressed outside of like the bargaining is one Mother's Day. It was after our third miscarriage, which happened in, I think, like April. I wore all black on Mother's Day to church. I got dressed, and John said, why are you wearing all black? It's Mother's Day. I was like, what in the world is going on? I, oh, and I wore flat shoes. I mean, now I wear flat shoes all the time. But at that time, I never wore flat shoes. CD! I, I wore, CD! <laughs> I wore a black skirt, a black top, and black flat shoes on Mother's Day, y'all. But that was my aha moment. That Kenya, you are depressed. I never went and got help, but I prayed and I talked to God and I just, I was able to work myself out of that depression. I looked at her. I said, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. We're not doing that. I know, but I did it. I did it on that Sunday. John, would you say that you um, went through depression? Absolutely. What types of depression? The, um, The toughest thing for me was trying to... To monitor you as a man you want to you want to fix things and as a man that has drive you think that you can fix it and when you find out that you really can't fix it that's that's when it really hits home you really start to question your ability or your inability, the lack thereof, to uh, bring it home. And uh, you don't speak or have conversations with your significant other because as a man, you can handle it. You just package it up, box it up, and store it someplace that only you can get to. You put it in that proverbial place that that men put it at, put it in, that we don't need to go there. I'm a man, I'm tough, and we don't need to even need to evaluate it or look at it again. I'll just package it away, and I'll be okay. And that type of pressure that you put on, uh, on yourself, men, out there, and we are the Hughes land, that type of pressure can kill you. It will definitely kill you. It will definitely kill you. Uh, the last stage is the acceptance. So accepting what you've lost, recognizing that you have to move forward um, for women that have lost and feel that you are not worthy, recognizing your worth. Just because John has always told me that no matter what, whether we have a child or not, I am still whole 
and our marriage is still whole. Amen. That the triangle is God at the top, then me and John are the other two corners, and that is a triangle, and that is what is whole. So a child is to enhance our marriage, not to complete our marriage. Amen. No one ever said to me that in a relationship, you would have to choose whether or not you want to be happy or sad. Yes. It is really, really hard work in a relationship to make your relationship work. And when you are hit with adversity... And you will, if you're in your marriage for real, if you if you say I do for real, you'll be hit with adversity. And and how you react will show your true character. And with that being said, I think it's important that your character is at a level that it cannot be tarnished and not be defeated. I think men as a whole we are priests of our families. We provide a covering for our families. It is our job to protect our family and provide moral, physical, and spiritual support whenever it's needed. And we need to give that consistently. And I think when we are in our quiet space, which is in our, our bedrooms with our wives, we need to open up and speak to her. Believe it or not, your car, your home, your job is not your best asset. Your best asset is your wife, your mate, your significant other. That's the person that you speak your secrets to at night and trust them with that secret and they lock it away. That is your best asset. So, oh, I like that, John. When you're at night, when you're in the bed. Mm, tell everything. Tell it. Tell it all. Tell it all. Tell it all. You're right. You said that we need to men that should, should support their wives spiritually, physically, and emotionally. And and women, that is the same for us. Spiritually, physically, and emotionally, we should be there for our spouses. Now that ain't always easy. I'm gonna keep it real. Mm-hmm. It is not always easy. It is often a challenge Sometimes to do she those things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you didn't run to my aid. I know. The, but I try to do the best that I can. And I still strive and try to do the best that I can to be there for John. Let's keep going with our topic. Let's keep going with our topic. All right. So after we've gone through the stages of grief, I'm a quote person. I love quotes. So I saw this other quote, and it said, when the world says give up, hope whispers, try one more time, right? So we are continuing on our journey of trying. Now, was there a time that I wanted to give up? Is there a time that you may want to give up on life, um, give up on things because it has not worked out for you the way that you wanted it to, that person you've lost, you feel like you can't go on? I felt that way five times late. Five times I felt that way. But I know that I have to keep going. So why we look, keep trying. Why are you looking at me like that? I had to get something to drink. John is in here sipping tea. I'm just like there's nothing going on. I was parched. You were parched? Oh, okay. So here it is for us ladies. When the world says give up. 
Hope whispers, try one more time. So John and I have tried. I'm talking to my infertility ladies right now. Okay, this is just for a moment. I'm just talking to you all. We know that we can be a little over the top when it comes to our infertility journey. The fun is in the practice, but who wants to be time when you're trying to have sex, ladies? Mm-mm. I remember all the things we tried, all the books we read, all the crazy positions we tried. Hold your legs up. Don't pee. It's 5 p.m. I'm ovulating. Let's go. Thinking back on it, that was not fun at all. At all. I like to say the joy is in the journey, but there is no joy in any of those journeys. So we have to continue to try, right? John? Right. I felt like I was video on demand, and my <laughs> wife kept kept, <laughs> kept running up the charge card and ordering another another movie. Oh, my. That's not true. That's so not true. It was rough. In the beginning, it was fun, but then it started to turn into a job. Oh, my gosh. So, listen. So, I'm going to tell you. So, we have some reasons why we want to try one more time and why we will continue to try. So, for me... I always knew I wanted to be a mom, minus when I was in my early 20s because I had babysat too many kids in college. I always felt like a child is what I needed to complete me. All of my friends were having kids. It is what I thought the traditional family should look like because we put these stigmas on ourselves that we are not a traditional family if we don't have children. And then I wanted my parents to be grandparents. Sometimes we can put pressure on ourselves that is unneeded and, and unnecessary pressure. So I let, along with not having, being able to carry a child at this time, I let the pressure of my parents not being grandparents. So anytime my mom would say, people have asked, and not that she was asking like to pressure us, she, we would just be having casual conversations. And she would say people would ask, when are they having? When are they going to be grandparents? That was pressure, unnecessary pressure that I put on myself. Thank the Lord, my brother has a little girl now, Miss Erin, and I don't have to worry about that because now they have a little girl. They have a granddaughter. That baby is off the chain. Don't be talking about Erin. Do not be talking about my Erin. John, what what was your reason to try one more time? Well, as I look with my bad eyes, um, with your bad eyes, my bad eyes. You know, I got. I, you know, I'm like DJ Focus. You know, I wear glasses. Oh, my But gosh. I personally feel <clears throat> that it's preordained for me to be a father. But I've recognized with our, with We Are the Hughes charity and our charitable events that we do that I can be a spiritual father to so many children, um, the youth and the work that we do. And I, I, I do events with men and we give back to our community. Because it's also my, I feel obligated to do it. And also that it's my duty. But I do feel like one day we will be parents. We will. Absolutely. But you, what you said, though, is so important to recognize that you find your purpose in other things. So you volunteer and we volunteer. So we will, as you all begin to know us for those that don't know us, um, that have just started listening to us and tuning in, we have done a lot to turn our pain pain into purpose. And we love children. We we actually are having Easter dinner at our house with about 30 children. 
on not 30 it's probably about 20 children but we do a lot of things with children it um, feel like 50 god places when you miss out on something in life god will place people in your life that will help to they won't necessarily fill the void but they can fill the emptiness would that be the right word i'm looking for well um, that could be that that could be there's no wrong word honey Mm-hmm. But I, I do believe um, because of our so, social reaction and interaction with people, because we're we're people, mm-hmm. we see other families and we we paint the picture in our mind that they are complete and we are not. Right. And I think that's a falsehood because when you are a couple and you say I do and you say that you love one another, you are complete. And any addition to that completeness is the gift. Right. No, I'm saying, though, I get that part. I'm saying that when there are God, we don't have children, but God has blessed us with so many other children in our life. I get it. So they don't necessarily fill the void, but they still bring us joy. Absolutely. So that is that's a blessing for us to have those children in our lives at this moment to help us to fill that void and that that emptiness sometimes that you can fill. So we look forward to having those children around us. So what I want to tell you all after after we have the hope and after we practice and all of those things have happened, John has this quote, I'm sorry, Selah. Oh. This is my, my favorite part. This is what John, and it's so, so powerful. And it speaks to what the man is supposed to do and how he's supposed to provide a covering over his family. Well, Selah, the word itself is a biblical word. It uh, actually exists in, the, uh, in Proverbs. And it's used multiple times throughout Proverbs. And, it's, and, and there's been so many debate and discussion about what it actually means. And then there's other discussions that say that it actually means nothing. But um, what I've liked to believe and what I've seen also in Proverbs, that Selah actually means forever. And I've broken it up into an acronym. And to me, Selah, which is S-E-L-A-H, to me it means steward everything Loving always as a husband. And I believe that as I speak those words over my wife, because me and my wife pray every morning and every night, that I'm reminded by that word. And that word it, it speaks to my soul that I shall operate forever in love, in admiration, in appreciation for the relationship that God has created between me and my wife. And it's my job to protect that, to provide a covering over that, and to endure with that, regardless of the situation. That's good. That, I, so I hope that you all wrote that down. I'm going to repeat it one more time. Selah. S is for Stuart. E is for everything. L is for loving. A is for always and husband. So tonight, you guys, we're going to end on that part because we're going to come back next week 
with part number two of Life After Loss. But we just wanted to kind of give you an introduction to who we are. Um, John Hughes, Kenya Hughes. <laughs> Let's do it right now. We are the Hughes. I'm John Hughes. I'm Kenya Hughes. And together, we, we are, are the, the Hughes. Hughes. I don't know how long we're going to keep that harmonica. It might come up missing. I love my harmonica. It really might come up missing. Well, I don't know how you're going to come missing. I got 20 of them. Oh. We want to thank you all for listening to We Are The Hughes. Make sure that you follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram and check us out at www.wearethehughes.com. We will talk to you next Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. Peace and hair grease. I love the harmonica. You do? I know you hate it, but I love it. I listen to it almost every day. (laughs) Well, guys, I'm John Hughes. And I'm Kenya Hughes. And together, Together, we we are are the Hughes. Man, what episode is this? I think it's episode three. Wow. I know. Well, I'm excited. We have a little podcast. And we're talking about Love, relationships, miscarriages, ups and downs of marriage, and all kind of stuff. All kind of just things. Just life is what we're talking about. Well, today, I'm kind of leading this conversation because I think as a man, we haven't leaded, lead, led the conversation like we should have. And what? what, what, Oh, you were going to ask me a question. What conversation is? And what conversation is that? I think you know, honey. Tell them what the topic is. The topic is the blame game and miscarriage. How it is truly no one's fault. Amen. Uh, No, no one's fault at all. And I think um, it's very, very important that we understand how it is. Um, One of the big questions that you know a lot of people probably don't know or realize is how common miscarriages really are. They are very common. As as you all already know, we've had five miscarriages. And the more we talk to people and share our story, the more we have an understanding of how many people go through the struggle of just having children on a regular basis. And if you don't talk about it, then you don't know how many people are, are going through the same thing that you're going through. So today, we are going to talk about how it's really no one's fault. A lot of time, a lot of times in marriage and in relationships, we can blame each other for um, the shortcomings of having a child and or not being able to have a child. And a lot of times we can blame each other for that and we don't want to blame each other for that. So today we're going to be talking about the miscarriage and how we should not blame each other. 
So here's an interesting fact. Miscarriage is fairly common during the first 12 weeks of pregnancy. It's hard to know how many miscarriages take place because sometimes a miscarriage can happen before the mother knows she's pregnant. The estimated figure that miscarriages happens in and around one in four recognized pregnancies with 85% of those happening in the first trimester, weeks one to uh, one to 12. Um, a late miscarriage, which is much less common, may occur uh, between weeks 13 to 24 of pregnancy. Right. So the likelihood of someone having repeated miscarriage, there's a small number of women um, it's probably about 1% that have repeated miscarriages, and that's according to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And that's us. That is us, honey. We've had too many to name, way too many to name. And, it, you know, it gets even crazier when you start putting um, age as a, a factor in the, um, in the idea of getting pregnant. If a woman is under 30, she has a 1 in 10 chance of a miscarriage. If a woman is between 35 and 39, she has a 2 in 10 chance of miscarriage. And if a woman is over 45, she just, she just, yeah. Yeah. She has a 5 in 10 chance of miscarriage. Oh, over 40. So they don't have from 40 to 45, but over 45. You know. I would say that that's probably 40 and up. Well, you know, as your husband, I'm not going to tell people your age, but I know we're going to keep trying. We are, but you know, so here's the sad part about miscarriage and when you go to the OBGYN or the fertility specialist as you get older, as you get older and you go, they automatically make you feel like you're like a hundred years old when you tell them that you don't have children and you're 35, 38, 40, 43. They make it seem like your eggs are just old and you're never going to have children. That's how you feel. You feel like you're about 100 years old. But. And let Lord, Lord forbid we got to talk about performance anxiety. Performance anxiety? Oh, yeah. What's the performance anxiety? Well, you know when you go to that, um, go to the clinic and they want you to go in that room. Oh, gosh. Oh, Lord Jesus. So John had to go in the room at the fertility specialist when he when we were going to a fertility specialist and y'all, when I tell you he was traumatized, he was traumatized. I still don't know why my wife couldn't go in there with me. No, that's gross. That's why I had performance anxiety. But you can't go, but a woman can't go in, in the room with you for a fertility. You can't do that. Anyways, let's talk about the common causes of miscarriages. Most miscarriages, about 60%, occur randomly when an embryo receives an abnormal number of chromosomes during fertilization. This type of genetic problem happens by chance. There is no medical condition that causes it. However, it becomes more common in women of increased, listen to how they put this, increased reproductive age. It's a nice way of saying old. <laughs> <laughs> gonna have to remember that when I'm talking to women don't worry my dear you just have an increased reproductive age mm. that's terrible I get stabbed if I call you old so I don't I don't know how they get away with doing you that you should try saying increased pro- reproductive age John yeah I think I still get stabbed and I don't think I'll I don't think I'll stab you I'm sorry so how common is it that it caused 
How common is it that a cause for repeated miscarriages cannot be identified? In 50 to 75% of women of repeated miscarriages, no cause, as John said, can be found for pregnancy loss. There may be clues about the problem, but there are no sure answers. I can definitely attest to that because we have had a thousand clues that they have given us as to why they believe that we have not been able to have children. But we still don't have an answer. But we're trying new doctors this year. Uh, they, they, I've heard all kind of things. The, the eggs was not the right number. No, the eggs are old. The eggs are old. like. But they're not the, the right they're number. They're supposed to be a number 10, but yours was like 11 or 12. Mine were 12. Good memory, so, honey. So because of that two-number digit mm-hmm. difference in numbers, you were no longer good. You know, last time I checked, I boiled an egg... 10 minutes ago and I eat it 12 minutes later it's still a good boiled egg I mean I get what the doctors are saying um I do get it but it's just when you're going through it is a thing you don't want to hear that it's a whole bunch of stuff but but I digress we keep trying we do so what are the chances of having a successful pregnancy if you've had repeated miscarriages and there is no cause um, to be found. So it's about 65% of women with unexplained recurrent pregnancy loss have a successful next pregnancy. Well, we waiting. <laughs> and we're going to keep practicing until we get it right. And we are waiting and we are waiting. So John, the topic tonight was there's no one to blame. There's no one to blame. Now we, we have poured over you guys with all these statistical factoids. And at mm-hmm. the end of the day, that just drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. But when you get to the meat of the, uh, the, the subject, once the miscarriage happens, what happens to the couple? Right. There is an enormous amount of trauma. There's an enormous amount of pain. There's a, an enormous amount of embarrassment and confusion when it actually happens because you number one very few mothers or expecting mothers know that they actually miscarried until there's definite signs that the miscarriage happened most husbands boyfriends significant others have no clue that their significant other is going through a miscarriage until after the signs are very prominent. And after that being said, there is next to no communication after that happens. Um, what, uh, what happened to us when we had our first miscarriage is there was the connection there, but then also after that happened, there was a whole lot of isolation. And that was the most shocking thing to us. And I can I can rightly say now, because of we've had so many different miscarriages, that we were able to um, identify what those risk factors were. And actually, instead of pulling apart, we pulled together. Yes, and that's important. That's important in any relationship, whether it be marriage, partnership, um, to make sure that you are pulling together and don't let the miscarriage pull you apart. You have to remember that when you all joined together and you tried, you became 
one or you became a partnership, that it was the two of you all. As John always says, the this child or baby is an enhancement to your relationship. It does not make you who you are. And a lot of times that is the hard part to remember because we oftentimes just believe that our perfect family is not going to come until we have a child. And that's not always the case. Now, check this out. It was a great article that I read by um, S.E. Smith contributor. It was an article on why we don't talk about miscarriage. And they interviewed two experts, a Boston-based psychologist named Aline Zobrod and Dr. Elizabeth Faiselson of Columbia University Department of Psychiatry. And um, uh, Dr. um made a great little comment. It said, parents may hear, well, at least you know you can get pregnant. It mm. just wasn't meant to be. That's a dumb comment. They're in a better place now. Dumber comment. You could always try again. That's the dumbest comment. Instead of expressions of sympathy and shared grief, many people minimize minimize it, as uh, Dr. Zobrod's uh, comments were. It's incredibly traumatic. The lack of validation can make parents hesitant to reach out and be frank about their experiences. And when I read that, that was so powerful because to me, when we first went through it, it almost felt like we were embarrassing. There was nobody really we could say or actually say something to. I remember you distinctly uh, having just an awful wrenching feeling about actually telling your parents that it didn't happen. Oh, I remember that. That's a horrible feeling. Especially when you're old as John and I. And your parents don't have any grandchildren. And you're trying to get them some grandchildren. The pressure that you put on yourself. Oh my God. To provide grandchildren for your parents is horrible. And, and you know, traditionally, um, cultures, societies, um, they impact that that need to, for you, for their children to produce grandparents, grandchildren, grandchildren, grand, not grandparents, grandchildren. If we producing grandparents, we as bad. We in trouble. <laughs> so, um, to produce uh, grandchildren, like my dad would say to me all the time, "Boy, you couldn't bust a grape," and it didn't affect me or bother me until we had our first miscarriage. Then he realized that that was actually bothering me, and he he. He doesn't say that anymore. Well, yeah, never mind. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Yes, yeah, so the things that people say, sometimes people say things and they you know, it's just habit. It's like somebody asking a woman that's single when you're getting married. Well, clearly, when she finds a husband, she's going to get married. But you know, as human beings, we do this all the time. If it's not their pain, it's not their concern. That is true. So here's my mission. I try and educate people. And sometimes the things that I say can be a little bit shocking when they ask why we don't have children. Oh. But guess what? They don't ask no more. Oh, Lord, honey, remember to pray. And then... You a Christian. I am a Christian. I don't say ugly things. Mm. I just say things that they probably wouldn't expect. Like, do you have children? I'll say, hi, I'm Kenya. And we'll start talking. And then 
They'll say, oh, you're married. And I'll say, yes, I'm married. Do you have children? No. Well, how long have you been married? 14 years. And you don't have children? No, I don't have children. Why don't you have children? Well, first of all, that's none of your business why I don't have children. Oh, aggressive. But let me educate you. Aggressive. I've had five miscarriages, my husband and I. We've had a failed adoption. It's not from a lack of trying why we don't have children. And then you know what their response is? Oh. Or one of those things that John said. Maybe it wasn't meant to be. We'll go back to that. That's probably on this list right here. Well, at least you know you can get pregnant. How about that one? Dumb. Uh, you can always try again. Even dumber. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it is people's attempt to identify your pain and also, as misguided as it may be, to comfort you while you go through your grief. Mm-hmm. And that's rough because no one actually will be able to to sympathize with you on the level that you need in order to go through that process. That is true. That's why it's so important as a couple that when that happens to that couple, that you and that uh, that person, your, your wife, your significant other, that you actually turn to each other. Right. And love each other through it. And then also... I think it's very important that you speak to people that are in the field of psychiatry, that are in the field of counseling, that is in the field of support groups. I think it's very important that you know where your support groups are. No matter what state you are in, city, um, uh, local or national, there is support groups everywhere. And all you have to do is just Google it. I, in fact, me and my wife in Atlanta, Georgia, we um, there are multiple support groups in this area. And um, you can go there and, and there's support groups. There's counselors and doctors uh, that can actually assist you in that process. Right. So here's the thing. We talk a lot of times as people, we can talk about things and we can... Um, give advice but it is making sure that we take action so i've been going to women's bible study at my church and we've had a wonderful it's bible study but we've had a therapist there for like the last three bible studies and she has been amazing and one of the things her name is rosalind mitchell and she's in atlanta so if you had to look her up she's awesome but Um, One of the things that we talked about that we can carry so many things, we carry extra baggage with us. And when you've had a miscarriage, you carry that with you. You already, as women, we have so much that we carry with us on a daily basis. You carry the stress of um, family, if you have children, or even if you're married. You carry the stress of work. You carry the stress of your friends you carry the stress of family we're always helping each other and then you add miscarriage on top of that it all that's extra baggage that you're carrying and you need to have somebody that you can talk to and really um talk about how you're feeling and and get those things out and they can help you walk through the process of grief uh like i told you all last week i have not been to counseling 
but I'm going. Not because um, I'm in a dark place, but just because sometimes... You can't be in a dark place because you're light-skinned. That is so dumb. (laughs) That is dumb. I can't... I'm whatever. So anyways, so I'm going to counseling so that just to free myself of things. You know, there may be things that you're carrying that you don't even realize that you're carrying and those things can bring you down. So I want to do that for myself. And when I'm talking to people about going to see counseling and a therapist, at least I will have been. Yes. I think that's very important. Now, I mean, here's a little spinoff. Can anything be done to avoid miscarriage? Okay. If you're a smoker, stop. Quit smoking. And avoid secondhand smoke. If you're a drinker, avoid drinking during pregnancy. Don't use street drugs while pregnant. That should be common sense. That's just common sense. Stick to the recommended limit of caffeine. Mm, I feel that. You you will feel that because my wife drink. No, I I won't fail. You drink coffee like nobody. No, I don't. I did good. I gave up coffee for Lent, y'all. And I did good. I was proud of myself. I didn't drink. And Lent is over. Now what? Um, I'm drinking coffee. Yeah, it's on and popping. But not as much as I was. Now, to my fellas out there, guys, I will tell you more than anything. It is so important that you communicate your feelings about what just happened. It's hard, it's tough. I know as a man, men, women are nurturers, men are protectors. So when this miscarriage happens, that's completely out of your hands, you feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. You feel like you should have been able to protect your wife and your unborn child but they are uh, there are particular factors in the play in that play of development that you have no control over and no power over and you have to realize that once this happens as a man you need to jump into recovery mode Mm -hmm. which is to circle the wagons to provide a hedge of protection for you and your family and you and your family could just be you and your significant other, mm-hmm. your wife. And you have to you have to communicate to her and talk to her. And if she doesn't feel like talking at that point, just be present. Because more than anything, it's important to her that she knows that you're there. And then when she's prepared to talk, then you talk about it. Right. You find that space of comfort that you and her find peace together. One of the things that become extremely helpful to me and my wife is that we pray every morning and pray every night. We read scripture. Um, that may not be for everyone. And I do understand that, but I, but, but I hope and pray that it will be something that you pursue. With that being said, I think it's very important also that that men talk to other men. And it's, it's, it's statistically impossible for you not for you to get better if you don't confront or address what's been happening. Right. The um, I think I think it's also 
important that we realize that you see what has happened to you and your wife as something that that we should be able to get through. I I agree 100%, honey. Then just be there for your wives. That's the best thing that John did for me was to be there for me and support me through our miscarriages and through our loss. And like you said, men need to be there for each other. I can't. We have, uh, let's see, one, two, three couples on our street that have um, gone through or going through miscarriage and fertility issues. And the women always talk about it. The, the men, men do not. The men do not talk the about it. The men do not talk about the miscarriages. And guys, y'all have to get it, get that together. You guys have to be brave enough to talk about something that didn't go right. Right. It's about, it's about communicating. We're very good at boasting about the stuff that we do have and the stuff that we did get make go right. But we are, we are very closed-minded and closed-mouthed when something doesn't go right. Right. As you all can tell, and you know, this is our pa- miscarriage is one of our our passions. Something that we, along with children, we love children. But miscarriage is also one of our passions and something that we love to talk about and really educate people on. And not necessarily educate in that we are experts um, in miscarriage because we're not. And there's a lot of things that couples have gone through and they have done. We have not done... Um, IVF. We haven't done IUIs, but what we can talk to you about is how we have felt in the process. We have done some other things um, through the infertility process, but what we can tell you is how we have felt over the years after our losses. And I think the most significant thing that, that we want our listeners to realize is just that. We may not have gone through some of the, the technical things that, that most fertility clinics could offer you, but none of these fertility clinics will tell you that they put the the aspect of the loss in the forefront. They want it, they want you to get pregnant, and their job is to get you pregnant. And they, of course, they give you uh, support groups to go to and and psych, psychiatrists and and uh, different people to aid and help you, but that's not on their forefront. So we are the Hughes, John and Kenya Hughes. We decided to make that our forefront, that the emotional side of miscarriage is something that we're going to talk about. And then also marriage and also life in marriage and how we put that first and foremost. So that, that particular thing, we want you guys to travel on our journey because we're going to be completely open-minded and uh, truthful about everything that we experience and talk about. That is true. Those are those are facts, John Hughes, that we can definitely, that you all can rest on and know that um, this is uh, going to be a conversation that we have. Um, know that I know that our first three episodes have been about miscarriage. We have lots of other things that we want to share with you all and talk about love and relationships and life we have some really inspiring people um that are in our life and we really want to talk to them as well and have them come on the show 
But miscarriage is something that, especially coming off of National Infertility Awareness Week, we didn't really talk about it a lot on our social media pages last week, but know that it is something that matters to us and is at the forefront of We Are The Hughes. We know that communication um, is key in any relationship and communicating with you all because you all are, we're in a relationship with you all. This is a a partnership and we're going to educate and we're going to empower people to be comfortable talking about miscarriage and sharing their story. We're going to, John's going to get men comfortable talking about miscarriage and sharing their stories and how it has affected them. A lot of times the things that we carry are things that we carry, like I said before, because we have not talked about them. And we need to talk about them and we need to share them. And we need to not be afraid of talking about them. Um, I can't reiterate this more than enough. Um, I think it's a, I think guys out there and we are the Hughes land, I think it's very important that you take the time to grieve. Um, you and your wife, you and your significant other, take the time to grieve, to communicate, to talk about it. Something happened, mm-hmm. and it was very traumatic, and it rocked you to your very core mm-hmm. because you lost something that you had in your hearts of hearts that you're going to love and protect. And because of God, because of anatomy, because of life situations and factors and characteristics and and uh, statistical errors, it was not to be. Mm. And that's okay. The idea of quitting has never been in our vocabulary and it should not be in yours. The idea of winning should only be in your vocabulary. And uh, We Are The Hughes are really built on trying to find that sweet spot. Yes. That sweet spot that suggests that we can win. We can survive this. We can make it through this. And we can create a culture that allows us to talk about it to heal from it and to move forward in faith and in good truth. And that's what We Are The Hughes is. I'll, hey, just so you guys know, we want you guys to see us on wearethehughes.com, Facebook, all social media platforms, Instagram. What else? That's it. That's it? We ain't on anything else? No. We're not, we're not, not yet. We're Nothing not on that- Twitter? Not that y'all should follow us yet. No, I'm gonna be. So I do the social media. So no, not what? on Twitter. What do you mean no? No, we're getting there, but don't follow us right now. I did a uh, Instagram is where it's at anyway, so we got to stay on top of our Instagram. That's where we need to be, and we're on there. We just need to update more. Well, you know the podcast is great. The podcast is great, but the podcasts we need to, are awesome. Right, but we need to we need to do more. Um, more Instagram. All right. Well, guys, you know, I expected it for us to go a little bit longer, but I know it's getting late and we are the Hughes have to start planning for the next episode. Yes, we episode do. number four. Yes. And we got to, you know, um, also guys out there and we are the Hughes land. 
Send us your suggestions. Let us know what you what you like about the podcast. Call us. Um, you can email us. What's the email, hun? K Hughes at wearethehughes.com. Awesome. Yes. So make sure that you send me any emails and give us any feedback. Yeah, the, like the, our podcast and share it. Share, share, and share. I mean, we're everywhere too. So you know, let us let us know. And uh, we at the Hughes, we love you. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Peace. Peace.